As I mentioned in my Faith Matters blog on Friday, you might be interested to know that both Stacey Abrams, the first African-American woman candidate for governor of Georgia, as well as Jeff Sessions, recently fired attorney general, identify as United Methodists, as do both Hillary Clinton and George W. Bush. Our denomination hoists a big tent. Your favorite search engine will reveal that the Methodist movement has been home to an astonishingly broad range of diverse Americans over several centuries. Sometimes the tent ripped under the strain, as happened over the issue of slavery, when a church of the North and a church of the South sundered the unity while holding opposing points of view on the matter. There really was no way around that at the time, given there wasn't an actual middle ground on the matter of slavery. One either is or is not a slave. There's nothing in the middle. In his second inaugural address, President Abraham Lincoln famously observed that both sides read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces, but let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. I mention this as a reminder that our national tribalistic moment has had a number of antecedents, some worse than others, but all leading to an eventual reunion of sorts, not perfectly, of course, but generally sufficient to secure for another generation a commitment to the common good of all. From breakup to reunion took the Methodists about a hundred years. Took them about a hundred years. Today we're caught in a time of fierce polarization both inside and outside the church. I tell you that I am working hard to listen to God's voice in the midst of the din. I am anchoring myself on the path Jesus blazed, fashioned from love of God and neighbor. This leads me to a set of conclusions about a few things and some questions about a few others. I seek to stay committed to the path regardless of the cost. I also recognize that, as in the, para- as in the words of Paul, I only see in a mirror dimly. Here's the thing, though. No one today supports slavery as a social construct. One side 
had it right in theory, if not always in execution. The other side had it appallingly wrong. I'm wanting to pay attention to this fact because I know that I'm capable of getting something appallingly wrong as well. That doesn't prevent me, though, from advancing my understanding of the truth, but it helps me hold it with open hands and heart in the spirit of Lincoln's conclusion in the same speech. You know these words, probably. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Now he didn't say this, but implicit within Lincoln's reasoning is the idea that everyone is a child of God. Yankees and Confederates, people north and south, east and west, and everyone else, including, in this case, especially those who were enslaved. For how could a child of God be treated less than any other child of God? Clearly, all persons were bound together by common sacred genetics is the implicit truth underneath his words. And you know, friends, that remains the most basic affirmation we make in here, that we are all beloved children of equal worth. There is nothing we have ever done to deserve this. It's just given. Scripture affirms this, as does our intuition. Jesus taught this, lived this. Each one of us, child of God, you know we frequently speak about this in here, you hear it repeatedly. And honestly, my opinion is we cannot hear it enough. So dense are we. We can't hear it enough. This affirmation lies behind the meaning of our mission to love God and neighbor and our core value of dynamic hospitality. All are welcome here because each one has been pre-certified as a member of the same family, emerging from the same spiritual DNA. All of us, children of God, everyone who walks through these doors and throws their lot in with us, child of God, even the latecomers, you know? Everywhere you look, a child of God. And here's the thing, the only work we have to accomplish in relation to this truth lies in accepting it. Oh my, is that a tough bit of business for us. Now learning that one is a child of God, really taking that on and letting it sink in has a rather powerful impact, especially for those among us who have wondered deep down if they have ever really belonged anywhere. Some of you out there have wondered this. I know this. This wondering is part of the universal human experience. 
You likely wondered about this at some point in your lives. You might recognize it as that lonely anxiety that awakened you in the middle of a, the night during a fevered dream, or the existential dread generated by coming smack up front to the knowledge that one day you will die, which in turn prompts this question, well then what's it all about anyway? Many spend much of their energy running from questions like these, smothering them in any number of ways. And you know all the ways there are to anesthetize yourselves from these questions. Busy New Yorkers, overachieving New Yorkers know of a classic way. It's called work. Work is a good way that many identify with. Work, booze, drugs, sex, money, and so forth, all the standard stuff. And then we should make note of the individualized ways we've all dreamt up over the years, all of our personalized so-called coping mechanisms. And then we're very good at finding alternative means for propping ourselves up by putting others down. This is the classic methodology for feeling better about our relative position in the world. And again, since it's on my mind, think of slavery, for instance. What is it but an extreme version of radical exclusion implicitly asserting that everyone does not share the same sacred DNA? You're out, and I feel a whole lot better about that. Human history is littered with these Radical eruptions, which are at heart a pathetic attempt to assert one's essential humanity as inherently superior to another's for a trumped-up and largely wackadoo reason. It's pathetic, but deadly nevertheless, sometimes seriously deadly. Sometimes. So, friends, children of God, all of us, children of God, now add to that salt and light. By virtue of our sacred genetics, we are salt and light as well. Salt and light are so basic and essential to human life that Jesus felt no need to spell out what that meant. Although he says salt can lose its integrity, its identifying quality as salt. This does not occur suddenly, but so gradually that those to whom it happens do not perceive themselves as changing and cannot identify later a single time or place when the rejection of their birthright occurred. The loss was not intentional. It was more a matter of sort of drifting away. Putting a lamp under a bushel certainly reduces the chance of having it blown out, but the price for such protection is what? Darkness. In other words, God's way in the world, as exemplified by Christ, is mission. We're meant to spread the word and make a difference. The way of Christ is to take the initiative, and rather than hide from the world, let the light shine in the hopeful trust that word of each person's essential and sacred identity can be spread across the land. Love and justice are the bywords of this movement. Love and justice. That's what accepting our birthright entails, actually. Allowing our essence as salt and light to advance the message to others that they too are part of God's beloved community. 
And this is not coercive or manipulative. It's declarative. It's simply declarative. Hear the good news. Believe it and live it. Child of God. Salt and light. Accepting this good news sets up an if-then logic equation. If child of God, then salt and light. Since we're all children of God, it follows we're all also salt and light. Our work and worship here allow this truth to seep way down into our deepest recesses. If child of God stands to reason, this truth will show up in our lives. What we do in our commitments, how we live, who we throw in with, how generous our love. With this in mind then, Commitment Sunday isn't about coercing our attitudes or squeezing our bank accounts against our will. It's not about what we ought to be or try to be. Instead, it's a moment to acknowledge, to declare who we are, to boldly assert our identity, our birthright, and our work, to affirm the astonishing diversity of our family, naming and embracing our actual sisters and brothers to whom we are bound by virtue of sharing the same spiritual DNA, to align our priorities with the priorities of the enormous trust we've inherited, to remember, as Moses admonished the wandering Israelites entering their promised land, that God is the source of every good thing, including their various powers at manipulating the physical world into wealth and prosperity. The scripture thunders you just heard. When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God. Do not say to yourself, My power and the might of my own hand have gained me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. We are utterly derivative creatures of God's astonishing love, who has been very pleased to shower us, shower us with every good thing. So here's where we join together in common cause, writing this sermon as sisters and brothers enjoying the same inheritance. It's a small gesture, I know, sort of contrived, yes, but, but when we stand together during the final hymn and choose to join the parade, bound in common purpose as agents of salt and light in a world that so clearly and so desperately needs this intrusion of grace, it is bracing and inspiring and affirming. Feel that deeply as you take the short walk to the altar. Allow yourself to feel it. You know what the world needs. And then the sermon opens ex exponentially as we leave this space and walk out onto the street as light and salt, transforming the world.